welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, November 15th, 2023, and Dr. Rick and I are coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today we have the opportunity to talk with a man that we affectionately call Pastor Chris, as well as a lady that we affectionately call the First Lady, Alicia Johnson. Chris is a staff member at Lifeline, and his family has grown through biological children, foster care adoption, special needs adoption, and sibling adoption. And we're so grateful to get to hear from him and his wonderful wife, Alicia. But we also want to remind you that Lifeline walks through domestic, international, and foster care adoption. And when you partner with us financially by investing in this ministry, you help these children find their forever families and help those children thrive. Through your partnership, God is changing lives now and for eternity. Learn how you can change one life and more by visiting Lifeline Child org backslash change dash o n e dash life again that's lifelinechild.org backslash change dash one dash life or see our show notes for a link that will take you directly to that site so dr rick and i like we said are here with uh pastor chris uh he is the michael jordan of all pastors and we certainly will unpack that a little bit more as this podcast goes along and of course as we said we're here with first lady alicia so I mean, we're grateful for these two, but just to give you a little bit of background on them before we bring in on the venerable Dr. Rick, Chris joined Lifeline in the March of 2020, and he serves as the vice president of church partnerships and government affairs. He previously served as a pastor for 24 years, thus the moniker Pastor Chris, and is the executive director of the Kentucky Governor's Office of Faith and Community-Based Initiative. Chris has also served as a consultant and has been a frequent speaker at local, state, and national conferences, churches, and community gatherings, sharing his family's story and challenging others to answer the gospel call to care for vulnerable children and families. He was born and raised in Metro ATL, and he is a Georgia Tech fan. He currently lives in Birmingham. Chris studied uh, church ministries at Trinity Baptist College and educational leadership at Regent University. He and his amazing wife, the First Lady Alicia, have 10 children, seven of which they adopted from foster care, three grandchildren, two of which were adopted from foster care, and they also serve as foster parents or have served as foster parents for more than 40 children. Like we said, for fun, Chris enjoys reading, spending time with his family, wearing his number 23 <laughs> Michael Jordan of all pastor jersey and cheering on those Georgia Tech yellow jackets. He absolutely loves football. His three simple joys are holding his wife's hand, hearing about his kid's day, and watching a good football game. We are so grateful for this family, for who they are, uh, for just the the authenticity as well of how they love and they love large. Uh, what a what a pleasure it is to have them on our team, but also what a pleasure it is to have them here today to really talk about their story and to talk about foster care and adoption. And so with that, it's the time of the podcast that people love, that they look forward to. I think they probably even skip forward to. It's when we get to bring on the venerable Dr. Rick, uh, that voice that's as smooth as butter coming across on your podcast waves. So apparently when the podcast gets edited, we're going to get over. It's going to be skip, not forward to just <laughs> that part of the podcast they skip. Um, I, You know, I'm a little confused about 
about PC's biography because you said he's a Georgia Tech fan, but yet he loves a good football game. Oh man! So how did? Do- oh, oh. <laughs> Wow. Hey, I'd at like the time to go of this recording, record. I'm riding pretty high. Our last game ended, ended pretty well. Surprised everybody. So I don't know what it'll be like when by the time this airs, but you know, you know, <laughs> like always looking for a good fumble. <laughs> Look, I'm telling That's you. Right. I mean, I mean, it's uh, going to Miami is right. gonna is gonna be a much greater pleasure the next That's time right. you head down there, right? <laughs> going to wear that GT proud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I asked my wife why she doesn't watch football with me, and she said me being a Georgia Tech fan and an Atlanta Falcons fan, she said, well, if you peer for teams that were winning, I would probably watch it with you more. Chris. So. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I, Alicia, I love the accountability <laughs> that you bring into Chris's life with uh, with some truth telling there. We, um, we're really thrilled to be able to sit down with you guys and, and be able to talk. And uh, I know that we have... We have variously other times, um, you know, kind of unpacked and shared your story in different places, but thought that it would be a, a great thing during National Adoption Month um, to, you know, just spend a little bit of time and hear your family story and 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 kind of talk through what God has done um, in in the Johnson's lives um, through adoption. And, uh, and so we, uh, I know like, right. Or like we all, we all hold our breath when we say that it's like, we're going to, yeah, we're going to, we're going to tell you a whole lot of the story. Today's a good day. (laughs) I think. What time is it? Yeah. Right. But, um, maybe, you know, I would say maybe just kind of start at the beginning and a, a little bit of the, of the journey of how, how adoption even got on your radar? Where did, you know, yeah. where did the idea of adoption um, f- kind of first begin for each of you or, or maybe together as a couple? You know, I, I hear stories a lot of times where couples talk about, you know, we knew we were going to adopt and we, before we ever dated, before we ever came to that, that's not our story. I mean, it really isn't. We both grew up in good, solid Christian homes, grew up in the church. Um, but this was not on our radar at all. Mm. I mean, it just really wasn't. I knew a few people that adopted, but really didn't know much about it. And and now I'm super like embarrassed to say that mm-hmm. when you see how clearly it is in scripture. Um, but really it wasn't until we had, we had been in ministry for a number of years. And again, we knew some families that had adopted, uh, didn't really understand foster care at all. Um, God called us to plant a church in central Florida. And shortly after doing that, we had a family that showed up that had a bunch of kids that didn't match. And, they had adopted some, some they were fostering. And so just kind of really the Lord used that to open our eyes to just this tremendous need and the realities of kids that were needy in our own community. Um, so we started kind of investigating that, supporting them, stepping into that, caring for them, helping lead our church to care for them. Um, and, and eventually through that, through God and his sovereignty and his, even even as I was preparing a sermon series through the book of James, God called us to really step into foster care. And that was really kind of our beginning. We we had three biological daughters at the time. Um, we tell people all the time, we were, we were satisfied and content with two daughters. And God gave us a third one, kind of a surprise. Um, and then we like made sure that that was it. And, and then little did we know that God had another plan. And so we started fostering with no intention of adopting. We're extremely passionate about family reunification unification, loves being able to see birth parents come to know the Lord, families restored, a new family planted into the church and and those kind of things. Um, But then we started being faced with the realities of kids whose parents' rights had already been terminated that did not have a family. And once your eyes are open to certain things, you can't unsee them. Mm -hmm. And um, I will say this about us that has been true from the beginning. 
we don't do many things halfway. Once we feel like God's <laughs> given us the green light or called us to something, we plunge in. Literally, we met in college. We, gra- we, we had made a commitment we wouldn't get married till after college, till after we graduated. So we graduated on Wednesday night, got married on Saturday, went on our honeymoon and started our first church the next Sunday. Wow. So that was kind of a foretelling of what our lives were like. So when we started fostering, we dove full force in. We were on an overcap from the very beginning. We always had more kids than we we're supposed to have in our home. Um, and then once the adoption call came and we started kind of moving through that process, uh, ended up adopting seven. And Snowball. yeah, it just really was. And <laughs> so we went from a family of five to, to a family of 12 within within three years. They all happened within three years. Mm. So, we don't recommend that. Yeah, we don't recommend <laughs> that. It's, yeah, if so, you better know that God's calling you to do Absolutely. it. <laughs> Absolutely. So that, that's kind of the adoption story. Yeah, I think I think as you turn that in, I I don't disagree, right? Don't do it unless you're called to do it. But at the same time, and I know y'all may laugh when I say this, some days you may not feel this way, but your family has been very equipped for this. Like I, I've seen the Lord's equipping hand. Yeah. On, what are some of the ways that it was evident that the Lord was equipping you for that next son or daughter to come into yeah. your home? Oh man. I think from the very get-go, we just committed as a family that this was something that we were going to do together. Mm-hmm. And we were very open when it came to the communicating through the difficult mm-hmm. parts. Um, when those little ones were reunified, mm-hmm. they saw us weep and mm-hmm. cry mm-hmm. and do the mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And so I think from the beginning, we just kind of modeled that for our girls. And, you know, as Chris said, we when we first started into this space, we, the Lord just was like, okay, there's this area, there's this need for teenagers, which Mm -hmm. is a scary in and of itself. And that's really when the Lord just started ramping things up in our lives was around, was around the teenagers. And so it really, we just had to sit down with our girls and as much as we could prepare them for what we were getting ready to step into. um, We had to have those those moments of just openly communicating with them. And we are in this together. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't have all the answers. There's going to be some hard days and there have been some extremely, extremely hard days, but they've just seen us be real. Mm-hmm. I think I think another unique thing that we had that, that again, I wish more foster and adoptive families had, um, we were in a unique position because yep. I was the pastor of the church. We had kind of built a culture in our church where we had, I mean, we weren't the first one. So there were other families that were fostering and had adopted. So we at first kind of felt our call to help support those families. Mm -hmm. So we tried to kind of build out support groups and support care for families that were fostering and adopting. So once we made that decision, we knew that we were in a church that understood Mm -hmm. this issue and that we we knew we had the support of our church family around us. Um, we We had been and this is something I recommend to all foster and adoptive families, we have been very intentional in building relationships um, with state child welfare as mm-hmm. well. And mm-hmm. so we had a lot of therapists and social workers and people that we had really built relationship with. Um, so when there were challenges, we knew how to, who to call. We had people that were ready there to help. So I think all of those things kind of prepared us for really kind of, again, being able to do something that's probably not quite as normal as the, right. the normal experience that most would have. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I know there are a lot of families that enter into adoption without those support pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I would, you know, encourage to try to 
figure out ways to help mm. build that um, because you can't do it. You can't do it alone. You can't do it on your own. We certainly had to be on the same page. Yeah. And and if there was ever time that we weren't, then it was a stop. Let's pray. Let's think mm-hmm. through this. Mm-hmm. We didn't move forward till we were on the same page. Yeah. But then, as Alicia said, even including our daughters and then as we adopted, including those adopted children and the decisions the on the next ones mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's especially important when you're adopting children with medical needs or older children, mm-hmm. because there are going to be unique challenges to both of those. And so if you don't have a good support system or you're not having good, clear communication um, together, then, then that can become certainly more challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to, Alicia, kind of take us on the journey a little bit, because I know for for us, um, we didn't just wake up one day and decide to adopt an older child, right? Like we, you know, there was, there was not a, there was not a, a just, Hey, very clearly I, you know, like well, I know, I, I know in this space, right? Right. Like, yeah. and, and yeah. so it, it, it's a journey and it, it, it's kind of an unfolding to get you to that place for most of us. And so kind of take us through what the Lord did um, with you and Chris and your family to, to move you to the place of being open to adopt older kids. It really, that first one, our, our Jojo, I think God just Mm. had him in our church really just to take down all those barriers of what a teenager coming through the system looks like. And really the need for that child to have a family to call his own, not just that family as mom and dad and siblings, but also that church family. Right. And so our Jojo was 17 and was faced at that time where teenagers aged out at 18 and Jojo was in a medical foster family and a case it for us, it was always a case manager or someone within the child welfare system that would just happen to pick up that phone and call mm-hmm. us and start sharing with us the need mm-hmm. for this kid, or I've got this great kid. Well, the phone call came to Chris concerning our Joey that Joey just, they needed to find a plan B. Mm. They needed to have a plan B in place in case anything just Mm -hmm. erupted in the home that he was in. And with Chris being a pastor and that time with everything that we were involved in, you know, that case manager was just, can you just, can you just help us with Mm. this plan Mm. B? Just, just think through it and pray (laughs) through it. And Joe was in a, he was in a great family in our church. Yes. They just, they were an older family. They knew that they weren't called to adopt him. So it was kind of like they wanted to keep Joey in his community, but didn't know how to do that. Yep. I will never forget the moment that Chris approached me with that. We were getting ready to meet some missionaries for lunch. And Chris had just a quick second to say, hey, babe, um, this is the phone call that I just received. And before he could finish, I said, our JoJo needs a forever family. I wasn't even I wasn't even thinking that. I was mm-hmm. thinking they were asking me to, if there's anybody in the church that would be willing yep. to maybe consider. And she immediately was like, he needs a family. That's Jojo, what it means. I mean, it, and with each one of our adoption, it was just so unique. It's always been that child needs a forever family. Mm-hmm. And God has just clearly each step of the way said, it's you. Mm-hmm. We never asked those in-depth questions. I mean, we just we were we kindly we just took that step of we really did. We took that step of faith, not knowing what that next step was going to look like or the big picture. We didn't go through the scenarios. We just simply said, yes, if they want us, then yes. And so we went home, talked with our girls. And of course, they were connected with Joey because he was a part of our church. I have never felt so scared in my entire life Mm -hmm. in the moment. Yeah. 
where a teenager had to say yes to me and being that forever mom. We met our Jojo at a Burger King a Wednesday night before church. I was shaking. We're like, why would he want to step? Who would want to step into a pastor's home, right? <laughs> like what kid in their right mind would want to do that? And like, he's he's going to say no. Like, why would he? And we, we watched our Jojo <laughs> come through that door and sit down right in front of us uh, with his case manager. And when he saw us, he, he knew what what was coming. And so Chris said, we we want to know if you'd like to be a part of our family. And Jojo said, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Um, and it just, it was really quick. Jojo came home with us. He was right with us when we told the girls. Of course, they were ecstatic about it. And like by the end of the week, he had moved in with us. And it just, wow. God just dropped them in our laps. Yeah. Each We never saw, we just didn't seek this out. Hmm. With each one of our adoptions, we, we didn't seek it out. Um, God said, this is this is the plan that I have for you. Do you trust me? Hmm. Well, obviously, you even go back to Joey's story, and they called you because you were the Michael Jordan of all pastors. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And, and for those listening <laughs> that know you as the Michael Jordan of right. all pastors, they may not know that that moniker was given by the state of Florida. It was. <laughs> but the Lord was stirring something in your heart as a pastor to call your church to foster care, mm. which is why you got that call in the first place. Yeah. Talk about the Lord drawing you as a pastor in that ultimately led your family in yeah. to foster care. Um, I think I think it certainly started with yeah, it started with really the the need for the church to step in, and I and I think it was it was again kind of once we were confronted with what was going on mm-hmm. in our community and the realities of our world through really just some faithful families that had been serving the Lord through foster care for a while. Um, that one family that came, they then invited some of their friends to come a couple of weeks later. And within like just a, a couple months of us planning this church, we had three or four foster families in our church. So I think from the beginning, it really kind of was, was okay. God called us here to plant this church, to bring these people together. God brought these people to our church. So therefore we are called to minister to these families. If God called us to come and reach this community with the gospel, this is a part of that. Um, and, and so it was, it was kind of like, okay, we got to figure out how to do that. And I didn't know, but I, I was dumb enough to not have any answers to where that I just kind of went to them. And, and, and I didn't know about Lifeline at the time. I didn't know of any, even any other bridge organization. I didn't know anything about this space. So I just kind of went to them and said, we believe God's called you here. We're glad you're here. We want you here. How can we help you? I know this has to be hard. How do we help you? So we just started practically learning and figuring out how to do that. And what happened is more as more and more people just kind of stepped in and started doing that, the church just began to develop this burden. Um, thankfully, those first couple families that were there, they... Um, already had at least slight of a perspective on understanding the need to minister to yep. birth families. So that was something that was kind of expected from the beginning with us. Again, we didn't know not to do that. Um, I think then it kind of led to an understanding. And even as we, I remember talking with some of our elders and different ones in our church going, okay, we've got in our 
small new church plan. We've got three or four families right here. There's got to be other families in this community that need support mm-hmm. and help mm-hmm. that aren't being supported. I didn't know anything about this growing up in the church. So there's got to be a, a need for that. So we then kind of reached to our local agency, our local, the local child welfare offices and kind of said, Hey, how can we support more families? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we started just seeing God do incredible things. We started seeing foster families that got connected to the church that were not in the church. Um, we opened up our, we, we said, what, what do you need? They said, if you could provide visitation space and if you could provide space for meetings like support groups or information meetings, then that would be a huge help for us. So God had gifted us with a building. We did that. We kind of just opened up um, and families would come, which I'll, I'll tell you this too. So when we planted our church, God and his just sovereignty, there was a church that was that was kind of on their last stages that was in the middle of a 30 acre orange grove. So they had a five acre plot carved out in the middle of a 30 acre orange grove. You couldn't even see the church from the road. No. So when you tell me, hey, we're going to send people to your church as a church planner, I'm going, yes. this yes. is a great way to create some visibility. So right. yes, please do that. We, we've had conversations about yep. families count and how pastors go, you mean the state's going to send people to my church? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. So so it was it was the practical reasons too to kind of, but then as our, as our church family just started serving these families and coming around them, that's really when that whole culture built up. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, the personal decision, again, was when I was preparing naively mm-hmm. uh, through a preaching sermon series through James and really, you know, I knew of James one twenty seven, but knew a lot more about the last half of the verse than the first. Um, and so as I'm studying it, I mean, I remember God wrestling with my heart and um, it's great that you're leading your church to do this. It's great that you're creating, but I'm calling you specifically mm-hmm to lead your family to do this. And this needs to be personal to you. And, 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 you know, the reality of that verse is that we all have different roles to play mm. and, and, you know, I could have very easily said, nope, my role is to be a support. And, you know, under normal <laughs> calling circumstances, that would have been okay. But God made it very clear that this was the role that he was calling us to play. And we were to continue to help others know how to support us well and how to support others in the church well. But we were being called to launch into this uh, personally, um, said yes to God. Then I'm like, how in the world am I going to tell Alicia? What if she's not on the same page? God had been working in her heart. She had recently heard a um, radio broadcast about Focus on the Family, talking about the need for Christ followers to do this. Um, and God had used that broadcast to really spur her to say, we need to be opening our family. And so really we both were kind of trying to figure out how do we say this to each other? And once we did, I called our agency. There was a, there was a group of classes that had already started and they're like, you've missed the first one, but if you can get to this orientation that's happening about an hour and a half from you, if you can get there Saturday, then we'll let you start the classes next week. And so we dove right in and made up that first class later. And so it was, for us, it was a pretty quick time that we had kids in the home. So I'm going to I'm going to go back and recap. So what I heard you say was <laughs> if you're a church planner out there and you're looking for a way to yes, grow your right. church, yes. identify identify a few foster families. That's it. But but the reality they bring though, mass numbers. Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Fans in your parking lot. That's right. Like so. So you don't you're not adding like one person at a time. Right. You're not right. even adding one small family at a time. You're adding you're adding multiple. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think. But one of the things that I, I think. I don't want to like gloss over in in your story is that even even when we talk about Joey and talk about what God did in your hearts, the Lord did that because because you knew older children in yeah. the system mm-hmm. because they were visible in your yep. church. Yep. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we that, uh, you know, how many churches are out there? Um, I was a part of churches that were like this, that we had we had families that were fostering in the middle of our church and and we ignored them. Yeah. 
or or we or we saw them and we knew what they were doing, but but we we kind of treated it as their thing, not as not as really seeing it as yep. you know as as our thing, mm-hmm. um, and and something you know that we did as a, a community, and and so I'd I'd love for you to just kind of talk about the evolution a little bit of of the of the way that people's attention shifted and maybe their hearts focused um that were not you that were not the pastor and his wife not the pastor's family but like what are some really practical ways that people in your church found to serve and to acknowledge and to to pour into the lives of of you know families that were that were fostering in your church no go for it yeah um i think I think, again, I think there are a couple different different paths. First of all, um, knowing, getting to know the families and getting to see, we, you know, again, we were, when we started this journey, we were, a, you know, a smaller church, so close knit. So everybody knew everybody. So you mm-hmm. kind of, the things were out there. And so you kind of, so I think our, our people just started saying, again, just asking that question, how, do, how, how can we help you? Yeah. What are the things we do? Um, for us, it was very organic. Yeah, right? really, we didn't really have was. a script that we were. Fo- I mean, it was just one foot in front of the other. Yep. And yeah. I think it. I think our, the the thing that I'm I can even think back to certain families mm-hmm. that never fostered, never adopted, mm-hmm. but were so critical in this. Mm-hmm. They supported us. Well. I think the thing that 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 they did well was they they didn't always know what to do or what to fix or how to fix the problems or how to you know, but they just were simply willing to be available and willing to ask. What, how can I help you? Yeah. And it wasn't a, how can I help you? Like, like call me when you need something or let me know if I can. It was, Hey, I'm going to help you. So tell me what I can do mm-hmm. that would be helpful to you. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the more people were volunteering in nursery mm-hmm. in children's ministry in student ministry mm-hmm. that put them in the room with mm-hmm. kids that they otherwise never would have been in the room with before. And so being intentional of understanding, you know, maybe the first time they did start, you know, call the parents because of behaviors. And there were times that people would, they, you know, constantly get the parents. But then when they would start having conversations with the parents and recognizing the effects of trauma and those kind of things, having a little more grace toward those kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so a lot of, a lot of, we had several families that started fostering or adopting and it's after starting by serving in children's ministry with kids in foster care or in teen ministry. Um, And then the, and then really kind of the, the uh, other piece of that was really, the other piece of that really was just coming alongside, um, understanding those needs, being open to to the needs of the families, being getting to know the kids, and then also coming alongside and recognizing that when the birth parents of these kids came into our church, they needed to be loved, they mm-hmm. need to be cared for, there need to be extra measures mm-hmm. of grace. Um, loved unconditionally. Loved right. unconditionally. <laughs> I, my favorite thing in the world would be to be standing in the platform, in the pulpit, and having a family with their children and their foster care that they're fostering, and then the birth parents being all there on a row together. Yep. And so our church just uniquely said, you know what, when these hurting families come in here, we're going to love them, we're going to care for them, and we're going to just share the gospel with them. Um, and I think that made a huge impact. Yep. So, so kind of this just the church did well at creating this space where hurting broken people were welcome, whether it was a, a it newborn baby, whether it was a elementary age kid, a high school teenager, or it was a parent that had, mm-hmm. that had, you know, was struggling mm-hmm. to get their kid back. Um, it was just kind of that, that love and care. And that just, God just used that to really be the catalyst. I think that moved mm-hmm. things forward. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. That, that it's not, it's not, there's not a programmatic answer, yeah. right? Like right. we, we think sometimes that what we have to do is we have to, we have to institutionalize something. We have to make a program. Right. Out of it. Yeah. We have people have to have a job or whatever. And, and what, what I've loved about, you know, about your story is that people just started meeting needs in front yeah. of them. Yeah. They yep. just, they just started, you know, loving people well that were right in front of them. And that, that turned into things. Mm-hmm. That and as the church grew and as right. the ministry grew, there was the need to create some structure yeah, and provide right. some things. And so um, that, that absolutely is important and appropriate. Um, but you really got to just be in tune with what God's doing in your people and then understand and recognize when it's time to start formalizing some things and being a little more creative and structured mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is a, a thing of when we understand God's call, we say, oh, I'm available Right. Be careful because yeah. right. he will bring the need to you. Yeah. Yes, he so, will. Yep. I mean, even as we kind of close, I think a great way to close on your family, if you don't mind, and tell only as much as you think you can share. But I love to hear about a Stetson, a bread truck, and two little kids yeah. that came into your home. Yeah, for Aww. sure. Yeah, and we've and we've they, you know they they certainly they've allowed they've given us permission to share their story, and they they themselves share their story as well. Um, we had we had we had eight children at the time. Uh, so we were totally done at that point. I thought we were done at two, really done at three. We're at eight now. Um, you know, the 12 passenger van. We had a couple seats for friends to come home from church. Right. And it was, it was, yep. it was pretty full. Yep. Um, and, and we, we got a call one day um, from, again, our, our agency that said, hey, there are these two kiddos that it was right before Christmas. I was say it was, it was yep. like the week of Christmas. There are these two kids, these teenagers that have just been through some really, really hard stuff. Um, and they said, I'm proud of, I'm so proud of my teens, my family, my kids that we had adopted. I'm proud of our church because they said these kids have been through hard stuff their whole life. They need a place where they had been, they had been in some different non-relative placements and bounced around and just nothing was working. They need to, they had to come into foster care and they said, these kids need a place where they're going to be loved, where they're going to be cared for. And they need your family. They need your teens. They need your church. That's what a, a, non-Christian state caseworker said um, to us. And um, she actually, she was a believer. She is a believer, but that, but that is what, that's what she said to us. And, um, and so we, we thought completely just foster is all, there was no really thoughts of adopting at that time. Mm -hmm. So we went, actually went and met with them like the day before Christmas. They didn't want to make a move because they were with some friends, which we were totally fine that they would spend Christmas with those friends. But then literally. Could you imagine that though? Could you imagine just picturing that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. This is, and, and, and the friends were doing the best that they could to care for them, but they didn't have space. Um, our daughter was sleeping in kind of a, a, a walk-in closet. That was kind of her room. Our son had a bed in their garage, mm. um, and that was his room. And so— um, 17 and 15. They were uh, 16. Well, yeah, because he, he turned 16 just a little <laughs> yep. bit after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so we, we went. We, we met the kids. We left just— have a heart for them, desire to serve them and help them. The next time we met them was at court. Initially, they wanted us just to meet them at court. And we're mm-hmm. like, no, we're going to go meet these kids before. And so Thank we met them at court, is. which I think it was like December 31st. Um, and so, again, this all glory to the Lord. But we had even built the reputation, our, our church and our people in the in the in the courts that the judge over the case looked at Alderman Aaron and said, I know you're, I know you're worried. I know you're scared, but I can tell you, I know this couple, I know this family and you're going to be cared for well. And, and again, glory to the Lord and so thankful for my amazing wife and our kids that create that atmosphere in our home. 
So what was the reason that they had called us and said that they needed was they, they told us, they said, this has the potential of being a high profile case. I'm like, well, but why? And so they began to tell me how that um, these two were part together with their dad. They had been homeless most of their life. Their mom had died when they were one and two. They had been homeless. Well, 60 Minutes, a couple of years earlier, had done a story in Central Florida uh, on homelessness in Central Florida. And through that story, the reporters found them in a box truck in uh, just pulled over a parking lot. And that's where they were spending the night. So they interviewed um, the, these two kids. The dad was not, he was very camera shy, didn't went on, interviewed the, our son and daughter. Our daughter, the 17-year-old, was just really articulate. She was sharp. She got a lot of people's attention, um, just really handled herself well. Mm -hmm. She, I mean, she basically had been the mom and the wife and everything mm -hmm. for years. And so she had a lot of, you know, maturity about her in that way. But at the same time, as we went back and watched the report, you could see that she was masking a lot. I mean, she was trying her best to just keep everything together. Um, and so, and so this had been the story. The community had rallied around them, provided resources and support. They kind of lost all that. This is when it came out that there was abuse that had been taking place for many, many years in a lot of different ways. Um, and so the kids end up having to go into, into care, again, bounce around the families and then eventually made their way into our home. And mm -hmm. so when we were driving home from the courthouse that day, um, we were, we were, we were, for some reason, we were in a truck, and I don't remember whose truck or why, because I didn't have a truck. But anyway, we were. It was your dad's, dad's truck, truck, truck because we had to get all of their things. All their stuff. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. So, so they're in the back, you know, the back of the cab, and and I think all of them asked me, you know, what do you what do you do? You know, we're kind of trying to get to know each other. And I'm, well, I'm a pastor, and oh, okay, and and then she said, well, I just want you to know that that I'm an, uh, my brother's an atheist and yep. I'm agnostic. Yep. I said, okay, okay, that's cool. You know, that's, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out, you know? Um, and so very clear from the beginning. But what ended up happening again as they were confronted with the gospel and our church family embraced them so much, our children embraced them, there were absolutely challenges. I mean, total sure. different backgrounds, total different yep. Uh, worldviews. Um, there were there were a lot of things they had been holding on to. Um, their plan was when Autumn turned 18, she would have a job, she would get an apartment, and she would take care of her brother, and the two of them would live happily. And she would sit at the kitchen table, and she'd have her little notebook each day, her and plan. she was going through. She knew mm. what was out there um, for rental places and the jobs. I mean, she was wow. figuring yeah. it out. Wow. She had always, again, she had been the one that had... The caregiver. The caregiver. Mm -hmm. And so... She was prepared to do that. Um, what happened next really was totally a God thing. God began to soften their hearts. They both came to a place where, um, again, so cool how God does this. I was preaching through Ephesians, actually a series on spiritual identity. And so we literally would come home and sit at the kitchen table and Autumn would have her Bible out yeah. and asking me questions. Well, what does this mean? And what does this mean? Does that, does that mean? I don't know. I don't, you know, just, and, and so through that, um, God, God, both of them made professions of faith and placed their faith in, in Christ. And, and so it was, it was shortly after that, uh, Aaron's birthday was February 14th. So just a, a you know, month and a half after that. And he, um, he actually initiated it first and said, hey, um, I guess the two of them had talked, but he he confirmed with her, hey, I really think we 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 should be a part of this family. And so we, we had pushed not, them off. Yeah, we had not because we had not weren't planning that. And we were like, no. we, and we didn't want it to be just an emotional kind of thing. No. Yeah. So when they came to us, we were like, you know, you need to be sure of this. This is a big deal. You need to be sure it involves changing names. It involves a whole new identity. And, mm -hmm. and we want, you know, if we we want if you're if you want this, we want it fully and completely. Mm -hmm. Because if you if we adopt you into our family, you are a Johnson. You are ours. Mm -hmm. We're together forever. And no matter what comes, no matter what happens, um, and certainly, you know, 
that it's proven to be true, even mm-hmm. through some hard and difficult stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but through that process, they, they, um, they said, yes, that's what we want. And so we ended up adopting and that's when we became the Johnson Dozen. And now we're officially number nine finished. and ten, and the the twelve pass <laughs> the twelve passenger van was packed out at that yeah. point. Uh, and so, Check. yeah, yeah, yeah. What's cool though is it's I mean it's continued on even into the next generation. Yep. So, one of our daughters and their and her husband have since adopted two kiddos from foster care as well, and that's been neat to see. And yeah. some of our others have had conversations about it as well. Mm-hmm. And kids that were. Children that originally in, replaced in our you home. guys, yeah, are now our grandchildren. It's it's beautiful. Now they're your grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I think to illustrate all of that, hmm. the Lord orchestrates he all does. the steps, yeah. and we just say he that does. we're faithful. Yeah. And uh, the thing that I also love is Autumn and Aaron both went to got to go to Stetson. Yes. They did. Yeah. They had, in that sixty minutes, Autumn was wearing a Stetson yes. shirt, right. not because she liked Stetson, no. but just because someone had given it. Yeah. She had found it at a thrift store. Yeah. She had found it at a thrift store, <laughs> and someone saw that, an alumni association saw that, and so they reached out to the president, offered Autumn and Autumn complete, uh, Aaron and Autumn right. full yeah. complete scholarships um, to attend Stetson University, which is an amazing yeah. uh, private university in Central Florida. And you know, when we when when they came into our home, they it was after the fact they told us about that, and and then. Once we adopted, we thought, well, now that they have mm-hmm. a family, that's probably not, and we're not going to hold them to that or whatever. And um, they actually had been tracking, and shortly before, I think when Autumn was a junior, um, they called us and said, hey, this, and we're like, or their situation has changed. They're like, the commitment still stands, we're there. And so both of them got to do full ride and, yeah. and which was a blessing to us because oh, we yeah. didn't have, <laughs> yeah. you don't really have college funds when you, you know, don't have, <laughs> uh, the kids, they're 16, 17. So um, it was a, it was a tremendous, tremendous blessing to, mm. to do that. And then even when Autumn graduated, um, CBS this morning kind of did a circle mm-hmm. back and did a follow-up story um, on her kind of the the process. And, and then again, I just so stick about The way her. God is using. She just glowed story. on yep. that screen and, and, was so bold in saying the thing that had made the difference was a relationship with God yep. and a family that loved her and cared for her unconditionally. And um, her middle name is Hope. And they they kept focusing on that. And um, yeah, it's just neat to see how God's used hope that. Hope for a bright future. Yep. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope this, you know, National Adoption Month of November, as we look at the Johnson story and talk about the Johnson dozen. We certainly didn't touch every peak and valley. <laughs> we talked to a lot of the peaks. There've been yeah, valleys. There's too. been, some valleys there's for been sure. heartache and heartbreak, yep. but through it all, the Lord is faithful. Amen. We put ourselves out there. Yep. And so we would encourage you if you're listening to this podcast, how's the Lord calling you? What's he asking you to do? Are you willing to take the next step? Maybe that's being a foster parent. Maybe that's being an adoptive parent. Maybe that's supporting a family member who has that call or a church member who is also a family member uh, to help with that. Whatever your call is, be faithful to walk it through. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Podcast. And the Venerable Dr. Rick and I will see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.